1: Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen.
2: I'm Pat Nevin. Hi, this is Ruben this cheek I'm
1: Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast.
2: Welcome
0: back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Your home for all things Chelsea FC. Dan, Mike, Nick, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in.
1: All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to an emergency edition. That is right. Emergency edition of the London is Blue podcast. Dan is here right now. That's me. And Brandon calling in, he's on the line, took time away from his weekend up at the cabin on the shores of some lake in Minnesota to join us to talk about all the craziness that's happened in the last 24 hours and really to come clean on the fact that he made one of the worst predictions of all time that immediately got thrown into the bin.
3: Yeah, that backfired pretty violently in my face in the last 24 (laughs) hours after predicting David Luiz would uh, log the most minutes in the Premier League. Um, Yeah. So, David, we interviewed. We hung out, man. You did me dirty. Well, we will
1: capture all of that emotion. We will talk about the David Luiz saga, his end to his time at Chelsea for the Imagine to be the last time. We're going to go into what this means for our defense in the upcoming season and this weekend at Old Trafford. And we're going to talk about does this now affect or what are the effects of transfer deadline day on Chelsea's shots at top four. But we couldn't get Nick in, couldn't get Mike in. We had to throw up a bat signal. And, of course, Joe Tweeds always answers the call. Joe, are you ready to get in and talk a little bit about the craziness of the last 48 hours for 48-Hour FC Chelsea Football Club.
2: Club Chaos, let's go.
1: <laughs> All right, well, we will jump in. First and last reminder, because if you're listening to this after kickoff, Liverpool versus Norwich to start the Premier League season, it might be too late for you to join our Patreon-exclusive fantasy Premier League um, that we're doing. We're giving away a kit to the winner of both the classic and the head-to-head groups that we've got going on. If you want to head over to patreon.com forward slash London Blue Pod, you can get more details there. But it's pretty exciting. I'm having a lot of great conversation on Discord about it. But we're, we're, we're jumping in. We're jumping in. Because only Chelsea can make the biggest waves on a transfer deadline day where we are unable to sign players. And somehow Liverpool has joined us in solidarity with that. We appreciate that. Shock waves have rippled out from SW6 yesterday when the rumors first broke that Dava Luiz would potentially look to swap blue for red, trophies for tears, fortresses for a library by forcing a move to Arsenal. And now it's been confirmed. Joe, let's just take a minute and break down the following. It's how the, how the F... Does this happen right before the start of the season, right before Frank Lampard has set everything in place for what should be a really, really, you know, great and momentous change and step forward for the club?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, first of all, it's a little bit crazy that we've sort of come to the, you know, last few hours of the, the transfer window and a potentially a key player that I think a lot of Chelsea fans would have assumed played pretty significant part this season has departed for a a local rival or rival for a top four place. I think how this happened, you maybe have to go back to the, the, maybe the roots of some of this, which is, you know, anecdotally, sort of Louise and Lampard were never the best of of colleagues in terms of teammates. And I have a feeling that when Lampard came here, that potentially that, uh, let's say that sort of relationship dynamic was probably in the back of Louise's mind. And from from what I've been hearing from people who have links to the club, I, I don't think that over the next few days, as some of the uh, stories get pushed from Chelsea's side through Matt Law and, and various other guys, I don't think it's going to be a really, let's say, a, a really sort of fair, or maybe not a fair, maybe a, a positive reflection on, on David Luiz's sort of role here. So the, the sort of general narrative is, is that when Lampard came back to the club, he was very much on the sort of train of giving people a, a clean slate. And that pretty much involved, you know, sort of telling some of the senior professionals that, you know, you're not just going to play because, you, you know, you've been here for X number of years and you've won trophies, etc. Everyone needs to sort of earn their place. And I think that originally kind of put uh, Louise a little bit on the back foot. And I think over the course of, of pre-season, I think that has somewhat festered. And after um, Zuma and Christensen started the last preseason game, Probably a fairly good indication of who was going to play at Old Trafford. I think Louise has has kind of taken that to effectively say that he's he's not going to be the the first choice this season and has pretty much pushed through a a move um, from his side since then. Um, you know there are a lot of people around the club who are saying that Louise has has not sort of been the same. He's not looked the same. This this comes from people who have spent time with the club in in Germany and, and there were some rumours about Lampard and and Louise in particular getting in an argument over some sloppy play in, in one of the first halves of the game. So it feels to me like it's a situation that's maybe been simmering for a while. And I think coming to a head this week, I think it's mostly seems to have come from, from Louise's side that he's been sort of quote unquote sort of demoted to to the second string. And I think one of the things I will say quickly is this sort of notion that he's told he's going to be full choice is, is a little bit untrue because Lampard typically sees sort of two groups of centre-backs. You've kind of got the ball players, which is Louise and Christensen. Um, and then you've kind of got sort of the more, let's say, physical, the more aggressive centre-back, which is is likely going to be sort of the Rudigers, the or the Tomori's. So there was only really going to be sort of one spot available in each of the, the roles, the sort of balanced kind of centre-back view that he has. And as someone who is, was quite vocal, and I've been quite vocal, suggesting that I think Louise, um, would would be my starting centre-back, that Christensen maybe isn't as as good in the two. I think Christensen probably has has outperformed in this pre-season. I think Luiz has looked a little bit sloppy in, in his in his minutes. And I think Lampard has, has made a, a decision, maybe taking more of a, a meritocratic approach to, to team selection. And, and gone with Christensen, and I think Luiz hasn't reacted very well so that he hasn't apparently um, reacted well to this uh, view that he's not going to be sort of one of the first names on the team sheet. And it comes across a little bit entitled from his perspective, but now it seems that he is... Engineered a, a move to Arsenal. Um, stays in London. Obviously, he's got some some ties here, both familial and and business-wise as well. So it, it feels a little bit maybe not in, maybe not entirely similar to the sort of P- Peter Cech, um situation a few years ago. It felt a little bit more forced from his side. Um, but it, I, I think it, it just comes down to squad dynamics and and Lampard and, and the coaching staff not wanting a disruptive uh, influence in the squad over the course of the season because it feels like Louise was. Uh, maybe not being the, the most professional about the situation. And I, I think that has culminated in him moving uh, moving on today.
1: And that's going to be the type of news. And obviously, we are reacting to this in the moment. We are trying to be maybe thoughtful around the way we approach it because it's very easy to be extremely hyperbolic in these moments. But I know, Brandon, you talked about at the start that you didn't know how you were going to necessarily react or how you're going to feel about this. Hearing a little bit of Joe's kind of thoughts around it, thinking about your own Reaction and processing it. How are you feeling about seeing David Luiz now in an Arsenal kit being announced by them, and seeing Arsenal Fan TV basically act like he's the second coming of the uh, the best center back they've ever had?
3: Well, I'm literally on Arsenal FC news right now, seeing him jumping with his arms pumped and his fists clenched, him holding up a David Luiz kit number twenty three in front of the Arsenal crest and. He is grabbing his jersey and fist pumping, just missing the badge. You know, I understand why he wants guaranteed minutes at this stage in his career. Like, I, I get it. Like, when you know your career is close to wrapping up, you want to maximize. And to be fair, you know, we've, I, I don't know, a lot of people, probably including us, have given drink water a hard time for sitting in the reserves collecting six figures a week saying he's not professional. To be fair, this is Doug Louise saying, I'm going to refuse to play. I don't care what my wages are. I want to play. We can't talk out both sides of our mouth. And so I think that, you know, this is what he wanted to do. I understand. It is just the circumstances that make it the worst for the club. He went to Arsenal an on the field, off the field rival and table rival surely this season and Chelsea let him go for peanuts to a team who desperately desperately need defensive help this might actually be worse than giving them Petr Cech originally this actually might help them even more than what we did by giving them Petterchek a few years ago i am just i understand and empathetic to David Luiz but the timing And the destination, from a club's perspective, are baffling. Yeah,
1: I think, to your point, the optics of this scenario are so different, where Petr was basically, he knew he was going to be number two, he wasn't getting a renewed contract, he understood that he still had time to play and wanted to play, wanted to live in London, worked with the club to get approval from Abramovich to transition to Arsenal, which you know he was going to give him 15 points extra a season that didn't happen and we appreciated that came back to the club in his new role and I don't think anyone bears any ill will towards him I think the optics of this moment though club serving a transfer ban the leadership leaking out of the club in terms of uh, players who have been there and done that we we now lo- no longer have a member in the playing squad. Who was there in that Champions League final. Louise was the last one. Obviously, we have some who are back now in a technical or in a coaching or managerial role. So that changes a little bit of the dynamic. You go from being a considered one of the starters to now real you know, not moving him out of the lineup and kind of understanding we're gonna have to flex a little bit because he was in the preseason plans and going across town to Arsenal, it just doesn't look Good in any capacity, even though when you take a step back and say, well, if I know I'm not going to get minutes, if I know that I can force a move, I know that I can go actually play 38 matches plus and rejoin my favorite competition in the world, the Europa League, for this season, I can go get that done. Joe, I think maybe from the perspective of Arsenal, it's really shrewd and smart business for them and actually – I think helps, even though some people are kind of joking that you know David is going to have a couple of sideshow bomb moments and actually concede some more and help us out. Uh, what do you think about that?
2: I think one of the the things I love about this podcast in particular, and you guys, is that the the sort of the chase for the click, the sort of clickbait stuff, and the the hot takes isn't quite there. So I think if I'm answering this question and and trying to be sensible about it, I, I think it's it's far too far too early to kind of tell who sort of has has won or lost on this deal. Um, If you look at the the Chelsea perspective, maybe from a positive perspective, if you have removed a, let's say, a disruptive influence from the squad, um, someone who potentially was not seen as first choice by the coaching staff, who maybe doesn't or or no longer has the the athletic profile of the centre-backs and and how you want to play, play the high line, etc., um, maybe not necessarily playing to his strengths and you know from a Chelsea perspective that can that can be seen as a positive yes you know you're losing leadership but you know on the other hand it also opens up uh, sort of room for, for some of the younger players to grow into those roles and I often feel sometimes with Chelsea where we've had such a massive sort of chasm between the experienced players and the younger players that the younger players have often found it difficult to sort of assume leadership roles or to grow into a, a more prominent position in the squad because they're they're sort of blocked by the the characters of some of the players ahead of them. Um, also, you know there has been a thing around Chelsea around some of these uh, sort of Brazilian and, and Spanish cliques at the club that, that I think they've wanted to not sort of break up, but sort of loosen some of the the sort of stranglehold they've had on the dressing room. So potentially, I think that there's there's some element of play in there as well. From an Arsenal perspective, you know they've got a you know they've got a, a, a serial winner coming into the squad in David Luiz, and that's not something that you can really associate with Arsenal in, in any capacity you've got someone who's experienced someone who despite you know sort of the general opinion of him someone who generally plays well in big games I think that's one of the things that they've lacked in in recent seasons is a commanding centre-back in, in the bigger games um, he obviously probably fits Arsenal's kind of style of play but obviously in terms of how he's more of a, a ball-playing centre-back and, and things of that nature but I think ultimately it's a little bit too 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 soon to tell if he goes and plays 38 games for Arsenal and they finish in the top four, then I think it's a fairly foregone conclusion on, on who was the, the the winner in terms of the transfer deal. But if, if Chelsea can can finish above Arsenal and when you see some growth from, let's say, probably Andreas Christensen benefits from this the most, if you can see some growth from him and, and see him sort of step into um, that sort of position in, in in the back four, then then it's going to be Chelsea. But I, I think yeah, from Sort of summing it up, I think it's a little bit too too soon to tell. Um, you know, Chelsea will, will think that they've got rid of a player who is, by all accounts, not been particularly professional over the course of, of pre-season and, and was becoming slightly disruptive in terms of the squad. Obviously, you know that is a positive move from them in that respect. They've you know, still lost a good player, and I think Arsenal will see it as as taking a a player from a, a rival, adding experience to the squad, adding a, a player who properly probably is now their best centre-back um, and, you know, sort of someone who, at least in terms of a winning mentality, can sort of give that to some of the other players. So at the moment, I'd say fairly even, but, you know, time will tell when we look back in, in maybe a couple of months' time and see who's uh, who's really benefiting from the move.
3: What about player power? I mean, you talk about David Luiz and, you know, when he's upset, it definitely ripples through the squad. I think this could affect William, which is going to bomb another one of my predictions, like, Freaking predicted him to potentially be the player of the season. I think that I think this will affect William negatively. I mean, at least remember, they own the Babo restaurant, they're both still in London, so we'll both see each other plenty. But I just feel like he will perceive this as Lampard potentially feeling threatened or just treating his friend poorly, Dan. And I think that, like, I, I think that William will have resentment toward Frank at this point. And William is now the most experienced player in the squad and knowing that he can have attitude problems. I mean, think of the trophy gate emoji that he did with Conte after when that fake up. I mean, you can't discredit some of that stuff. You know, I've I saw Dan Silves tweet, you know, this is Frank Lampard's dressing room, you either in or get the F out. Um, so I'm just wondering what other effects this might have on the club and the squad this late in the window.
1: You know, I tend to think about the idea of galvanizing moments, you know, moments in time where the opportunity to shift, you know, the the addition by subtraction. And if Dava Louise going means that there's an uptick in positivity, that if there were one or two or a group of players who were able to band together and create a negative atmosphere, again, this is hypothetically because we you know we're not in the locker room right we are not there it's all the reports that leak out via social media spin jobs by uh club friendly reporters and not club friendly reporters uh player friendly reporters their agents so we're just trying to piece all the facts together but let's say for the hypothetical sense that this was a problem you had players uh who were grouping together and could cause shifts back or forward in the support for a manager or against a manager. You look at the likes of Reese James coming in. You have Mason Mount, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, Christian Pulisic, these young core group of players who clearly identify with Frank. They identify with Jody. They identify with this coaching staff. And you're looking to create a model that is going to persist, that is going to be able to weather the storm of – a particularly crazy and chaotic season that lies ahead in terms of how we can adapt and how we can grow, and can we scale quickly enough to remain as competitive as we need to be to advance into the Champions League, to get deep into and potentially win a domestic cup and retain top four, so as we potentially either get our January ban removed or sign players in the summer that we maintain a attractive and attractive position for players to be signed i think this could be ultimately a very positive moment depending upon how this ripples out and how frank and the management team really sees this moment joe i i, I think we could win not necessarily from a fi- you know financial perspective or from a you know, player going across and like the legacy piece there. I think we win potentially and how this can impact the players of the squad who who were planning to and are on the books for longer than, than David really was going to be at this point in his career.
2: Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very fair assessment. And when you sort of look at the the social group that Louise has, I think Willian is the obvious one, but I, I don't think many Chelsea fans envision that he will be here in the long term. Maybe that two-year contract was probably to see him to the end of this season and then, you know, with a view to trying to get sort of recoup some money from him, and sort of sell at the end of the season. You've got Kennedy, who probably isn't a very prominent player. Emerson, who again is is part of the sort of Italian-Brazilian sort of clique, same as Jorginho. I think those two players have, have probably not had enough time with, with Luiz to, to maybe have the, the sort of same relationship that someone like William has. So it, it kind of seems to be probably William is is the main sort of point of contention, but you know, whether he will be a real sort of focal point of the team this season, I'm, I'm unsure. And I think also going forward, I think, yeah, it's a really, really good point to make that this kind of approach seems to really, I would say, kind of show that the the pathway for younger players is now there, that, you know, if you have uh, some experienced professionals, maybe some who, I think a lot of Chelsea fans would have seen Luis still potentially as as an untouchable. You know, if these guys are being moved on because they're not... Pulling in the same direction as the club, um, and that direction being one where we are apparently getting younger. I think we, you know, if you if you look at uh, some of the older players, if they are not playing in, let's say, a a league cup game, you know, that that could probably be one of the youngest starting elevens that that we'll have seen in an Abramovich a era. So, you know, for for next summer, um, potentially in January, if if we get a successful appeal for the for the transfer ban. Um, all of a sudden Chelsea looks to be I think a very appealing prospect for some of the, the younger talent across the globe. And I know Chelsea fans are very interested in someone like Jaden Sancho. Jaden Sancho being a Boyhood Chelsea fan, you know, one of Callum Hudson the best friends, etc. So I think that that this, this kind of move maybe is something that, that pays dividends later um, when we're able to sort of start looking at players again. It suggests to me that. You know, there is is going to be a genuine meritocratic approach to to team selections that, that it doesn't matter what you've done at Chelsea, it's it's kind of what you're doing right now. Um and no one really is is bigger than the club. And the the kind of interesting thing for me is that I think Louise is probably probably the last player that, that has that sort of cosy relationship or had that cosy relationship with the owner. And the fact that Lampard has been has been backed ahead of him, I think, is a very kind of could be potentially a watershed moment for the club. You know, it's, it's something that we've, I think we've often spoken about uh, across numerous podcasts, sort of historically, about the, the player power implications at Chelsea. And for the first time in a very long time, it now sort of seems that a manager has complete control over the makeup of the squad. And I think for some of the senior players, maybe that is you know, something that sort of kicks them into gear, that they can't sort of rest on their laurels and, you know, they can't sort of rely on some of the goodwill that they've accrued and banked. Over their sort of careers at chelsea but it's it 's definitely, it's definitely an interesting thing, and I think over the next few days as, as sort of more of the the sort of kind of story is, is released publicly, I think it 's going to paint Lampard probably in a pretty good, you know, pretty good light in how he 's dealt with the situation um, and I, I think again you know that, that as we look sort of towards the future and the near future, that this could be a moment where a lot of younger players now look at Chelsea and, and think, hang on a minute, you know this isn 't a a club that I'm going to go and sign at, at 22, 23, and not play because you know you, they've got a host of experienced players. It's it's going to be a club that I can actually go and sort of attack the the starting eleven, try and attack a a, a position and try and nail it down. And I, I know that I'm going to get a fair crack of the whip. And you know, the fact Louise maybe has has decided not to not to accept the the challenge that's been laid down to him in terms of fighting for his position. You know, I think that 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 suggests that you know it's it's a level playing field for everyone. And I think that can only benefit the squad going forward.
1: Well, let us know what you think about the David Louise situation. Uh, hit us up on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, snail mail, and whatever it is that you want to use to discuss this moment, Um, obviously a lot to take into that. We'll do a quick, quick, quick ad break, and then we'll get back to talk about what this means for Chelsea in the weekend match against United and then also for the remainder of the season and how does this move impact us in our quest for top four, for fighting for everything we're looking to achieve this coming season. All right, we are back after that very, very quick break And now we're going to dive in to what this means for Chelsea's defense moving forward into this season. So many people, as we talked about already, had David penciled in as potentially that surefire starter for that ball-playing center back ahead of Christensen. But now he's gone. We're not going to talk about it anymore. We're talking about who still is here, which is Christensen, Rudiger, Tomori, and Zuma. As our center back opportunities. You could even potentially throw Aspakweta in as a cover option. But as we think about maybe just first the short term situation, which is upcoming Sunday, Old Trafford, first match of the Premier League season, points on the line, Joe. I feel like it's probably got to be Christensen and Zuma for this upcoming match, but is there any kind of thought where it might be different or is is that the right pairing for at least this moment now?
2: Yeah, I think with, with Rudiger out, it's almost kind of the the default option for the time being. Um, It will be interesting to see when Rudiger comes back, who potentially makes way. I think that Lampard has shown a tendency to sort of look for balance in his center backs and, Maybe that's sort of drawing inspiration on some of his his sort of sides that he's played in with sort of Terry Galas Terry Cavalier, et cetera, where you've got a more physical player, a more aggressive uh, centre back, and someone who was a little bit more technical, a little bit more of a sweeper in terms of the two. Um, kind of puts Christensen in, in pole position for the time being, if that is the approach that Lampard wants to take. Part of me thinks that he may eventually settle on on a physical centre back period, which will be Rudiger and, and Zuma. Um, but it it really I think will depend on on how sort of performances go in the early part of the season. I don't think that Lampard is just going to play people, you know, if they're not performing. And you know, I think looking particularly at Zoom, I, I've not been super impressed with him during pre-season. I'm I maybe not putting as much stock in that as, as other people. But again, you know, as someone who is a, a pretty big fan of him, I, I don't feel that he has necessarily kind of grabbed the shirt. Um, you know, over the course of pre-season, but I imagine for for the game against Manchester United, that, that Christensen and and Zuma um, will be the pre- kind of preferred pairing, and you know, it, it's a huge opportunity for for uh, for Keo Tomorrow. You know, at the moment he's the third choice. Um, probably will will stay this season as the fourth choice centre-back, but you know, this is a guy who a lot of people see uh, you know quite a, a lot of potential in him as a player. I think he's still. He's still raw in a lot of aspects, and I think a lot of that is down to experience. Um, I think it was, you know, maybe in hindsight now, looking back on it, it was a little bit fishy that he hadn't gone out on loan. Um, You know, and and maybe now we we can kind of see why he's been kept around the club for this season. But um, yeah, I think it will be Zuma and Christensen. But as soon as Rudiger is back fit, I think primarily because of his his experience and, and his leadership qualities that he has that I think he potentially now becomes a a fixture uh, sort of in the starting two. And then it's going to be, for me, probably one of Christensen or Zuma will pair him for for sort of the the kind of foreseeable future. But Sunday almost certainly now will be a a huge opportunity for Christensen and Zuma to to state their that as the first choice pairing. And who knows if they play particularly well? Um, if things look solid with them at the back, then you know they, they will keep the they will keep the jerseys, I think, for the foreseeable future, even with Rudiger coming back. So pressures on I think that it's gonna be something that um, you know, is very dependent on, on performance level now, which maybe is not something that we've seen over the past couple of seasons with with the managers we've had, they've they've kind of played guys kind of irrespective of form. So it's it's up to Zoomer and it's up to Christensen to keep those positions now and you know, with Rudiger competing for a spot, hopefully that competition sort of uh, sharpens their performance levels, and we see a a decent performance Sunday and, and hopefully going forward as well.
1: So, Brandon, I'm going to guess that you agree with Joe at least for this coming weekend. But you did make the claim. We got to talk about it just for a second that Luis would get the most minutes at Chelsea this season. Would you like to revise your pick, and who would that pick be?
3: No, I'm sticking with it. He'll do it. <laughs> um, um, you know. This kind of changes, and it makes me kind of think about a lot of different things now, and how Frank's going to approach this. I mean, to me, this is a pretty big confidence play that he's going to be here for two seasons. That he's not playing it safe in season one. So all of a sudden, he's you feel like maybe he's going to be investing a lot more in a patience play to make sure people get minutes. So I, you know, I I I don't know. I mean, I guess. Aspie seems like a decent guess, but, you know, a shocker could be Barkley out of nowhere. Just the way that Lampard has seemed to take on to to him in preseason, he might get a boatload of minutes um, this season. So that'll kind of be my wild card because there's no more logic involved in this nonsense. I'm going for complete shock value at this point.
1: (laughs) Brandon Busby unhinged and off the rails as it were. So I think when I I take a look at it, I definitely think, to to your point, Joe, that this is Christensen's moment and opportunity. If he can't lock it down over this string of games and become that player that we saw potential in at uh, Manchengladbach alone, the player that we saw before the breaking moment versus Barcelona, that this might be his last really great chance to cement a role and a really a pathway for his whole future at Chelsea. Um, what do you think are the things within his game that you're seeing right now that he needs to be able to show to Frank to really lock down that position, both versus United this weekend and through this maybe first stretch of games before Rudiger isn't an, uh, you know, is not an option to come in as he continues his rehab?
2: I think Christian Sim primarily is the archetypal confidence player. And I think we saw under Conte that confidence drain away and it took him an incredibly long period of time to, to recover that confidence that he had lost. I think towards the, the back end of last season, he was playing particularly well. I think he's played particularly well in pre-season. I, I think with with him, it, it's probably going to be the, the sort of physical aspects, um, how, he, how he now sort of kind of, let's say, changes his game to... To deal with some of the physical centre forwards. Um, and I think probably that that really at the moment is is the only primary concern is I think sometimes I don't want to use it's maybe sort of simplifying it a little bit, but he he comes across as a little bit too nice in how he defends. You know, he is very stylistically similar, I think, to Ricardo Cavallio, but he has he doesn't have Cavallio's kind of nasty streak that he had. You know, Cavallio would Cavallio would foul, he would cheat, he would pull people, he would he would be the sort of, you know, he was sort of the Voldemort of Chelsea. He was the master of the dark arts of, of defending. And I think Christensen sometimes is a little bit too, a little bit too to kind of down the sort of the, the straight and narrow in terms of how he how he defends. So I'd like to see some of that come into his game. Um, be a little bit more physical, a little bit more imposing, um, a little bit more aggressive. But I mean, it, it's going to really depend on the the instructions that he has. Um, you know, if he's being tasked to be sort of the the sweeper, the the more technical player, I think that that position suits him. Um, but it's going to be a mixture of confidence, and I think just showing a willingness to be a bit more aggressive and a bit more physical, um, and, and then obviously seeing how he how he pairs with Zuma and how he pairs with with Rudiger, because yeah, you know, he is a, a I think a, a good ball playing centre back. He's comfortable in possession. You know, he is probably now in terms of our centre backs the player that that can bring the ball out of defence, that can Be the player that sort of instigates sort of passing moves and 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 attacks from the back, but we need to now sort of see him grow into this role and, and become more confident, become more aggressive both on and off the ball. And I think those are the things that he needs to to work on over the course of the season. But you know, as as we say, until Rudiger comes back, that position is his. So you know, I think we just need to see him him grow into the role and hopefully develop a partnership with Zuma. Um, over the next few games that, that sees Chelsea become a little bit more solid at the back but you know it's his shirt to lose it for the time being and you know if, if he becomes that that aggressor, he gets a little bit more niggly he gets a little bit more of that sort of dark arts in his game you know he, he could be still become a very good centre back in the two um, and he's, it looks like he's going to have every opportunity to prove himself and I think again you know sort of rounding things off he is very much a confidence player and I think Lampard will try and instill that confidence in him so it's very much for me now how kind of he reacts to the the early portion of the season because we do have some difficult games you know United, Liverpool and Leicester it's quite a tricky start I think he's probably going to play in all of those so if he comes through those unscathed and and gains confidence then maybe we see him become um, a a fixture in the Chelsea side for at least until the uh, you know, the, the the sort of situation with Rudiger becomes a little bit more apparent.
1: Well, we will uh, see if we can get one of those uh, owls sent to Professor Snape and uh, try to get him to bring Christensen under the wing for uh, a little bit of that grit and uh, dark arts that you mentioned. Brandon, as you think about the point that Joe's talking about there about those first couple games, you know, we, we were talking in our season preview about how difficult that opening stretch is for Chelsea. It's a pretty difficult run with United, Super Cup against Liverpool, Leicester at home. We do get then a couple of promoted sides, but it's not an easy start to the season. Knowing that the combination is going to be Christensen and Zuma for those first couple matches, most likely. How How has your confidence been affected about... You know, in relation to what you think we can get out of those results and how how much we can maximize points and even potentially win a, uh, a you know a, a trophy, so to speak.
3: Well, you know, I mean, there's a lot of intangibles with leadership and kind of camaraderie and things you lose with it, but you know, if if you think about it, this is this is when Chelsea were at their best with Lampard, right? Like adversity, the, he's almost. Kind of bunkering in like a Jose Mourinho esque type mentality, being like, oh, this player who's been this one once and has won everything isn't interested in being a part of a team only about himself. I'm here for team players. Like he wasn't committed to you guys. I can start to see him, st- you know, frame the narrative to the group to say, you know, we've lost Ed Nazard, you know, now we have lost Davi Luis. I'm looking for players who want to play for Chelsea and not just, you know, chase wages or something like that. I think I can start to see them frame the narrative. Now we just have to see how they respond to it because Manchester United day one of the Premier League season, I actually, I think we said this before, I feel kind of okay about it. I mean, they don't threaten me nearly as much as, you know, sadly an arsenal now, you know, I think United are six out of six when it comes to the kind of your big teams, especially they just lost Lukaku today. um, So, but you know, we have seen some issues with not being able to play the ball out of the back when we're under pressure. So now we have that situation. We've lost our best ball playing center back in that sense. So we'll have to see. Um, As far as like long-term, you know, success with the club. I don't know. I mean, we have to kind of wait and see how good these guys are going to be out there. It's there's been, a lot of changes and it's a long season and how these guys hold up. um, If they stay healthy, how they deal with adversity because adversity is going to come. That's when you really find out what we're going to get out of this team. But I mean, honestly, I don't think anyone can really predict or feel confident with how the season is going to go for Chelsea. There've been so many changes at the club at such a high level and with such big impact that um, this is a whole new looking team. This is a whole you know, this is a hard reset, you know, and it tells you to turn it off and turn it back on. So Chelsea did this summer. So I have no idea what's about to boot up.
1: No, they they took a magnet to the hard drive. They, they did more than just flip the switch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think the way to look at it, though, and maybe kind of pull back and not just look at Chelsea because Chelsea have been the one team. Uh, in, opposite uh, Liverpool, who, in solidarity with our band again, did not sign any players this summer. We appreciate the support, very magnanimous of them. A lot of signings right on on deadline day, but also a few kind of leading up to the end of the window. Tottenham sign, uh, Los Celso, Sessegnon, Arsenal obviously completed the signing of Pepe, get Dava Luiz in, get uh, Tierney in as well. United complete, Maguire and. AWB, Aaron wan as their main signings. Joe, what's your concern about the top four finish likelihood now? I think when we talked in our preview pod, it was essentially one and two are on lock with a City-Liverpool finish. Spurs might be kind of in the contention there for probably a three or four. And then it's really now three to four teams, especially if you consider the strengthening Wolves and Everton have done that are gonna maybe make that finish for a top four or even a top six much harder this season.
2: I must admit I I'm not I'm not super concerned and, and this may be something that I'm probably being a little bit glass half full on there. I'm not super concerned with with Arsenal's incomings. I think, you know, Pepe is is a good player, but if you now look at that front three, you know, that's a front three that is almost allergic to to playing the other way and, and with Arsenal's midfield kind of, you know, sort of the the kind of poorest nature there. I'm I'm not sure how, how that's actually going to work in, in practice. It's one of those things that looks fantastic on paper, but we know that, uh, you know, kind of forwards now have to contribute both ways. And it's not just a question of, of, of outscoring people. Uh, Tierney, again, you know, the, the standard of football he's been playing, I think it's difficult to, to see where, you know, he, he's a massive upgrade. If he, if he really hits it off Arsenal, that's fair enough. Um, and, and Louise, you know, I'm not sure if, if he is the, you know, if, if he's really the answer to their sort of defensive issues that they've had over the past couple of seasons. Harry Maguire, I think, is, you know, he, he's not a Virgil van Dijk. He's not a, he's not a delict. He's, he's not a, for me, an elite centre back. I think he obviously starts for United, but I don't think he is, again, someone who is sort of drastically going to impact them. I think Juan Bissaka is an excellent defender, but I think, again, you know, putting him in, in a team where the full backs are expected to to almost be one of the sort of primary contributors going forward. That that's not really been his game at Palace. He's more known as a, a sort of an excellent one on one defender and, you know, Daniel James again is a little bit of a known quantity. So maybe the, the kind of the, the direct rivals for the maybe that fourth spot I'm not super concerned with at the moment. I mean obviously it it, it could all change if, if these signings sort of catch fire and and become incredible. Um, Tottenham are an interesting one for me because I think you know I, I've been a huge fan of Endon Bello. I think he will really elevate them. Um, Cessin Yon, I, I think you know really for me struggled last season. You know with the 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 reputation that he came with as sort of being this you know kind of next sort of Ashley Cole, Roberto Carlos, this sort of left hand side dominant player. I didn't really see that in the Premier League, and it'd be interesting to see how he develops under under Pochettino. And LaSalle, I think, again, is, is another good player. But, you know, it, it's it's one of those things I'm not sure just how much he will elevate Spurs above what we saw last season. And, you know, Tottenham have been perennially this team that everyone says is, is going to challenge for the title and challenge for the, you know, trophies every single season. But they always tend to have that kind of period towards the end of the season where they sort of fall away. So, you know, unless that drastically changes... You know, and, and we're saying that these, uh, you know, these kind of signings that they've made really kind of stop that decline that we've seen towards the back end of the year. You know, again, maybe they're going to be in, in you know, sort of in and around us a bit more. And I think Wolves and, and Everton and, and those sorts of teams, I think we'll see something akin to, to sort. Of, I'm not going to say the drop off that Leicester experienced when they won the title, but you know, now people have got a lot more tape on them to to watch and to analyse how they play. I think the teams sort of in and around them and lower than them in the league table will start giving them a bit more respect and play them a bit more like how they would a, a top four to six side traditionally. So I think that there's going to be more of an emphasis on these teams to to actually take the the initiative in matches now and not just counter-attack and not just be the, the team that counters excellently. You know, And that is a, a big difference in terms of how they maybe are expected to play and particularly Wolves, who I think were were really good on the counter last season if they are now going to be a team that other teams are going to kind of set up in a similar manner to, to counter them then I think again that's a that's a big dynamic change for them to to come accustomed to and yeah you know I think everton's uh, everton's front three is interesting again I think at the moment that is for me something a little bit that, that looks great on paper um, but you know we'll kind of again see how that transpires so i'm'm I'm, i'm kind of 'm looking at it in a little bit more of an optimistic fashion. I know there will be certain people that now think that we'll be coming sort of mid table because of the signings that have been made, but you know beyond beyond city and liverpool i, I generally think that there are you know there are positions uh, in in the top four that are definitely up for grabs and you know it, it's something that I think is is definitely within our grasp um, a lot of it will will come down to i think whether we get a a centre forward, kind of take a step forward and become a focal point, and and just how uh, how many goals we're able to sort of get to, uh, to uh, how many goal contributions we can get from the likes of, of Pulisic and and Pedro and, and Hudson Odoi when he's back, and 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 yeah, I mean it's it's going to be interesting, but yeah, I mean I'm I'm not as I'm not as high on some of these signings as other people. I think that they will obviously improve the, improve the teams that they have, but. Whether it's uh, to the extent that that Chelsea now kind of dropped down to fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever that's going to be, I'm not. Uh, I'm not so certain about that.
1: All right, love the optimism. Love it, Love you coming in with some positivity to bring into the conversation, Brandon. Now, did that that positivity work? Was that a shot of like wheatgrass juice for you? A little like something healthy, something good. Or are you kind of maybe on the opposite side? Are you feeling like there's potentially? a little more regression now after seeing a couple of these signings that maybe you are now more concerned about?
3: Well, I think, you know, I did predict top four knowing that, you know, Tottenham turned it on right at the end, a little annoyingly, you know, I think United signings kind of like Joe said, they're okay. But Arsenal looking at their lineup now, now again, Arsenal, you got to put the pieces together, right? We see They put all the attacking talent out there in the world, but they can't play as a team. They can't play as a unit. So I think that that still helps us. And hopefully Xhaka plays for them because you know he's good for a red card about every three matches. So I think I'm still bullish on top four that Chelsea get fourth, even looking at some of these signings. But I do think that Arsenal and Tottenham turned it on right at the end. Uh, which was a little annoying, a little scary, um, and I still couldn't be bothered by Manchester United. I don't know why. I just it doesn't seem impor- like aggressive or a threat to me at all. Dan,
1: <laughs> yeah, I think I I align with that thought process. Is that I'm impressed that Arsenal somehow were to find found a way to take their f- quoted 45 million and manage to spend 111 million pounds a- at the end of it all which is some type of Bogo po- coupon that they must have been able to put together um, when it comes to Spurs I think the signings are interesting and embele is probably the one that is really exciting for them probably the most exciting out of all of the signings across the other contenders for a top four finish that we've discussed. But yeah, I'm I'm with both of you. I think and and maybe we could spend just a few more seconds talking about why we're bullish on top four. You know, I think when I look at it it, to the point that Joe made, I'm only concerned about which striker is going to be the one that steps up and can truly start to add some of that goal contribution. What we saw from Barkley, Mount, Polisic, Pedro in the preseason shows me that there's enough Opportunity. There's going to be enough ch- chances created to score, and now we have a couple people that are maybe a little bit more of a natural finisher or more willing to take a shot on goal than we had in our midfield to uh, midfield situation of Conte and Jorginho last season where, again, Conte comes in with four goal contributions. It's wonderful, but you want to potentially have someone like a mountain there who can maybe get close to double digits or go beyond Pulisic, getting close to double digits, going beyond Barkley, hopefully in the double-digit scenario. And I I think that there was enough there from preseason, at least from what our midfield, what our attacking contribution is going to offer outside of striker Joe, that that's, what's making me feel very confident right now about our ability to go out and get a top four, because even if one of those players isn't functioning in a particular moment in time, it looks like we have enough kind of rotation within there to create the number of goals that are going to be required across all comps.
3: Yeah. Tweeds. I don't think strikers are going to bang in the goals for us. It's going to be our wingers and whoever's in that number 10.
2: Yeah. I mean, we've, We've never really traditionally relied on, you know, a, a striker who's going to get, you know, 28, 30 goals in the league. I mean, we've, I think we've only maybe had Drogba and, and Costa as centre forwards who have hit 20 or more goals in a league season, you know, in sort of the entire Abramovich era. So I think, you know, traditionally Chelsea are a, t- a team that that has um, you know, been able to sort of spread the goals around. We've always had centre-backs who pop up with goals, we've had midfielders who score and, you now I think going forward that is gonna be maybe the, the sort of strength of this new team. I think you're right. I think Pulisic has that skill set, I think, in the Premier League, where he has that ability to run in behind that he will score goals. He looks to be a very accomplished finisher. Pedro we know can finish on his day, William can finish. I think Hudson the way playing from the left hand side will surprise people. I think that once he gets his his feet back, I think he is someone who can who can score ten goals in the league. I think he's more than capable of doing that. Um, I think Ruben is worth five to ten goals when he comes back, Barkley, Mount, you know, these are all kind of players who, if they all start chipping in with, you know, five, six, seven goals each, all of a sudden that sort of loss of 16 goals from Hazard, you know, becomes fairly easy to to sort of feel. And I'm, I'm not suggesting that by any stretch of the imagination that you replace the the quality of Hazard as a player, but certainly the the direct sort of goals uh, that he's now left, I think that that is, is something that has potential to 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 fill in um, with, with players from other areas. And yeah, you know, I, I'm, I think my only real concern for the season is that, we, is that we don't currently have that, that sort of real focal centre forward who is, you know, the kind of de facto starter, who is the, the number one guy who has, you know, the, the upside, the ability to really sort of dominate, you know, and it's going to be a question of, of hopefully someone kind of stepping forward and, and taking the shirt even if it's a question of, you know, that they're they're taking the shirt because they fit the team structure best or, you know, because they get the best out of the wingers or they link up better with midfield, you know, it's gonna be a question for me of of that forward maybe not being a a just straight up goal scorer, but someone who is someone who who really fits the the team structure that Lampard and, and Co are looking to to implement. So yeah, I mean it's it's gonna be a you know, I think no real kind of You know, no real reservations here that it's going to be a a difficult season. You know, I think it it would have been difficult had we had you know Guardiola in charge this season. It would have been difficult if we'd have had you know any kind of elite manager here, let alone someone who is a bit of a rookie and is is you know a bit of a gamble. But it will come down to I think Chelsea's ability to find goals from from other areas of the pitch, and you know I think that that is going to be the approach that we have to take. In if we limit our our losses, if we can limit our our losses to the, to the to the teams around us, and, and not lose the you know games to the Bournemouths and the West, West Hams and the Watfords of the world um, that sort of we have maybe in the past couple of seasons. And I think that you know the potential to finish in the top four is there. Um, and really, I mean, someone just sent me a graphic on on WhatsApp looking at the the Man United team without Paul Pogba, and it, it doesn't look fantastic. So you know, I mean, if we're looking at United as a as a direct road for top four and and, and maybe Arsenal. You know, I don't think the gap between us and them is as great as what some people will make out. I think that we certainly have the strongest midfield options on paper. You know, Arsenal maybe probably have got a better attack than us. I think we've probably got a better back four. So it's it's just going to come down to really how things pan out during the season. We need obviously players need to step up and step into the roles that have been vacated, whether that's as goal scorers or leaders, but. You know, it's, it's something that is going to have to happen this season for us to finish in the top four. But, you know, I, I remain sort of quietly optimistic. I don't think that we are anywhere near as, as bad as some of sort of these very overtly negative sort of football Twitter Chelsea accounts have made out. Um, I don't think that, that teams around us are, you know, all of a sudden going to become this, you know, world-class uh, collection of players and, and go on and, and challenge City and Liverpool. I think it's, it's fairly close. It, it, it really come down to, I think, some very... Very small moments across the season, and in these small moments, you just have to hope that that Chelsea can 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 pull off the 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 sort of the results that they require. So yeah, I mean, I'm I'm i maybe quite optimistic. This may be stupid looking back on it in a year's time, but you know, I think coming into this season, particularly looking at the midfield areas, and, and maybe now seeing a, a different approach and a different way of playing maybe the the optimism will will prove to be correct at the end of the season.
1: Well, that is what we like to shop around to listeners on our show, is not the doom and gloom. It's not the hot takes. It's not the football Twitter tweets. It's not the fake Andreas Christensen fan pages tweeting that there are showing that there is no player bigger than the club quotes. We just want to bring it back to why we should be excited for this season. We talked a lot about that just now within – the players that are coming back, about where the goals are going to come from with all this wonderful young talent, which, if it all comes together, gives us a foundation to build upon in the coming seasons, it means that we don't have to overspend on the likes of Danny Drinkwaters, who are going on loan to Burnley for six months, which is so flipping weird, and uh, that is a reason to be happy, a reason to be excited, reason to think when we go into Old Trafford this weekend, not as bad or on paper, not as far of a gulf as maybe we are led to believe, there is an opportunity to take three points and start the season off with a bang. Joe, we're going to get out on that, but thank you so much for coming in, answering our call to action, and giving the people a little bit to be excited about.
2: Yeah, no problem, guys. It's uh, As I said, I think it's what, what a weird summer for Chelsea, not being able to buy anyone, but we still bought someone. And still managing to dominate the, uh, you know, the kind of the final day, the transfer window from seemingly absolutely nowhere. So... Yeah, crazy club, but yeah, no problem for for joining last minute. Yeah, and Brandon,
1: you know that's just uh, as it said in the advert for the away kit. It's a Chelsea thing. It's what we do.
3: I guess so. Uh, we signed up for it. This is uh, what we get. It would have been boring otherwise.
1: All right. Well, thank you everyone who listened to this emergency episode. We will be back after the match against United, where Chelsea have won. We get three points and we start the season off with a bang. But until then, you know what to do. Keep a blue flag flying high.